0: Good evening, everyone, and um, welcome to episode nine of the Bonafide Moto Show. Um, thanks so much. A bit nervous at the moment, um, but that's going to wear off in about a minute. Uh, tonight's very special. We've got Kingsley Holgate um, on the show for tonight. So we've set up a fire. There's Mona. Mona. So we've set up a fire so that we can have some sort of campfire talk, which is what Kingsley is very well known for. Um, outside of his travels, um, he's very well known for his, uh, campfire stories. Um, so yeah, week or er, no, week three, I think episode nine. Um, it's been so much fun, uh, having this show. I feel like it's been entertaining to all of you. Um, I've got a lot of messages over the past few weeks that you guys are all enjoying it. Um, thanks so much for that. And I think we will continue this after the lockdown. Um, obviously not so often, but um, I think it's a great way for us to connect with people um, from around the world and people that we um, we find interesting. So um, we will continue to find random people and people well-known around the world, so I'm very excited. Um, So tonight, um, if you do have questions, there's a little question mark down here, and you can send or submit a question that's outside of uh, the normal comment thread down here. I do have my list of questions. Um, I know uh, Kingsley likes to tell stories, but um, I definitely would like to hear what questions you have for tonight. Um, I think that's really about it. Um, I'm very excited to chat with Kingsley. He's very well known uh, around the world as being Africa's most traveled man. Um, I've had the pleasure to meet him a few times. He's a really great guy. Um, And his wife or partner, Sheila, has helped me, um, has helped out with getting Instagram on his phone. Uh, actually, it's not on his phone. Sheila downloaded it. So, um, she's helped out with Instagram. So it was actually quite funny when I first chatted to him. I was like, dude, all you need to do is go on to Instagram and, uh, log in. He's like, yeah, I don't have Instagram. So it makes sense. Um, but I think we've got it sorted out. I kind of walked Sheila through the steps. Um, so I'm going to Sheila and Kingsley, if you're listening, I did see you guys joined earlier. So I'm now gonna submit um, or c- try to connect the call with you now. So you should see a pop-up here shortly. I'll let you know, there we go, Kingsley Holgate Foundation. Sheila and Kingsley, you should see like a, a accept or join the call um, display at the bottom of your screen. Oh, connecting, I think we're in luck. Yes, Kingsley.
1: Well, there we go, Joe. So uh, loud and clear. And you know, for a tech savvy guy like me, this is uh, this is some real uh, divining, some sun warmer stuff. Yeah, but yes, lovely to be sharing a, a campfire with you guys. That's really special yes. for me. Yeah, I set this up just for you.
0: There's Mona. I think uh, Kingsley. <laughs> last time, last time you saw Mona, she was helping you out with your hair.
1: At the barber oh, my shop. God. Yeah, I, remember, I remember having a bit of fun there. We all got together with a Land Rover team and uh, and visited your premises. So, yeah, good to be chatting to you guys again and happy to answer a few questions. But you know, what's really important in this lockdown time is that we keep our minds alive and think about future adventures and share campfires like this and encourage everybody. We know that Mama Africa will still be here when lockdown is over and we'll still carry on uh, enjoying so, ourselves. So, so welcome, everybody. Yeah,
0: um, and that's absolutely true, like we've been, um, you and I and a lot of people who who are followers of our community, they've, they've traveled quite a lot. And I think what what I've personally taken from this lockdown, um, what I've taken from it is that I've been very grateful to have traveled to the places that I have. Um, and, you know, when you're when you're locked in, it's, you, you remember those times. And uh, I think the next time that we get to travel, it's going to be
1: ever so sweet. Absolutely. So, uh, indeed, we're all going to be looking forward to it. I mean, here at Africa House, that's where I'm talking to you on the East Coast, uh, surrounded by maps and reference books and big maps on the wall and what have you, as we plan uh, future journeys, future adventures.
0: So that's the the like expedition room, the planning, or as we call it, some places they might call it the war room.
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, it's it's where we cook up journeys. People sit around, uh, big maps on the wall, maps of Africa and stuff. And, you know, we always, we, we're a bit old-fashioned. Uh, hence saying yeah. to you, uh, I don't have Instagram, but, you know, we love the old pen and paper and taking a big yeah. map of Africa, marking our journeys out and then different people adding to it as we go. And sharing ideas—it's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's always so. You know, sometimes I think the research before a journey might be as much as twenty percent of the total. So you know, it's always a great. So we're using this time to plan some great things ahead. Yeah, and what have you? What are what are sort of your
0: like a few a few sort of planning strategies, or um, what are some ways that you plan that that help you that that sort of help you for these expeditions? Are there any like tips that you've got? Uh, that you've
1: learned Uh, along the way? Yeah, Joe, a lot of people ask this. They they say, oh, this must be a terrible amount of planning. And one of our delightful expedition team members, he actually cycles our expedition. He's a two-wheel man, much like you guys on your motorbikes. And uh, he's a great character. And uh, when people ask him that question, he often says the secret to the success of uh, Kingsley Holgate's expedition is largely due to a lack of planning. So, you know, if you plan things too carefully, the danger is you'll lock down that on Friday the seventeenth, you're camping at this place and you're crossing that river on that date, you're crossing into that country on that date. So we try and keep things a little unplanned and let Africa take its takes, let it take its course. Let, it, let, it, you know, be, let allow the adventure to, to feed you as you go. Sure, you need an endpoint. Sure, you need a vision. And I often say to people, uh, start with a vision. Find a name for a, your adventure. However, however small that adventure might be to you know, adventure's neither big nor small. Everybody owns adventure. If you've got an adventurous heart, you turn the key and you go. So it doesn't belong, you don't have to be seen on National Geographic or write books. Adventure can just be in our heart. And always I say to people when I ask these um, think of an idea visualize it start talking to your mates about it and uh, yeah. you know eventually like you almost get committed to your mates so, what are you doing next year well we leave on the 28th of february and we're going to take three land rovers and we're going to track the entire outline of africa and then you start sort of convincing yourself you come up with a name you call it africa the outside edge and uh, much to your surprise you know you to bucks. that's always the most difficult isn't it you get your supplies together you've got all your stuff and sometimes, as you take off, you look behind you and say, "Is this really actually leaving on this journey?" Because because you had the motivation, you had the you had the vision, and you set a random departure date. Take any date you like. Write it in your diary. Oh, on such and such a date we leave. And then you start to convince yourself, and you get full with the right objective and the right sense of optimism. I think these journeys live on several things, and one one of them, probably the greatest is a keen sense of optimism you have to believe you can do it. yeah yeah and, and and um you know you
0: mentioned planning and and i think that's that's a funny thing is 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 planning because you can you can spend so much time planning for a trip um, and like you said on on this day we're going to be here 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 and um and what that does sometimes is it builds up um um, a sense of sort of uh, i don 't want to use the word frustration, but um, on a day if you come if you run into problems and you were supposed to be somewhere that night, um, you know there 's a lot of pressure there and and sometimes the beauty of travel is those unplanned moments where things happen and you 've got to go to plan B or plan C or possibly even further, and sometimes that 's when that's when the stories are told years later um, are, are those moments where your plan didn't work out too well and you've got to come up with something else.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, allow yourself to go at the rhythm and pace of Africa. And, you know, if you over let's say you get to a tributary and, you know, we always, I mean, people ask me sometimes, what's one of the most important things that you can take on expedition with you? And they're quite surprised when I don't say an extra spare wheel or an extra jerry can or an extra high lift jack. I very often say, well, how about an empty seat? Because by having an empty seat to allow local Africans to travel with you, that you're traveling with Africa, you know, you're not sealed, your windows closed, Uh, you're part of Africa. And so you travel with local people and that person might say, you know, if you guys stick around for the next three days, there's a fantastic ceremony that's happening up the river. Uh, We can leave at midnight and you guys can see it. Wow! Then that allows you to to live for the moment. The other thing, of course, is giving yourself time, patience, you know, as they say, whilst the Swiss might have developed the clock, it's good old mama Africa that in fact owns the time. Yeah, Yeah, that's very
0: true. Um, It's uh, to have a sense of optimism and and just allowing things to kind of unfold, Um, which leads me to um, a first question that we've got from someone um, do you have a favorite expedition um, to date? Is there one that stands
1: out to you? Such a Joe, such a such a difficult question. You know, there's been more than seven journeys. Uh, some of them world first, and some bigger than others, and what have you. But a yeah. journey that does stand out a lot with me personally is um, taking off um, to cross Africa. In open boats, inflatable boats, all the way from uh, the Cape of Good Hope all the way to Alexandria and Egypt and the mouth of the Nile, tracking the rivers and waterways of Africa. Madiba had just been released. We were, you know, we we were sort of, South Africa was coming of age. You'll recall that prior to that during our bad political times, it wasn't possible with our South African passports to travel to many countries to the north of us. And slowly we were sort of getting. Um, closed off, so to speak. And then came this wind of positive change blowing across Africa. And, and you know, when I look back to that journey, um, yeah, it was called Africa Odyssey. Uh, and it was to travel from the southernmost Cape of South Africa, all the way to the mouth of Nile, the rivers and lakes of Africa, the Shira, the Zambezi, the Congo, the great African Rift Valley lakes and such like. And the joy that it took exactly a calendar year, And it's somehow, you know, and and we were a bit like an unofficial South African diplomatic mission. Ethiopia had been closed off to us when we got there. I remember it came out over the radio whilst we were still at the border. South Africans were allowed into Ethiopia, and there was these joyous moments people coming in the street, approaching us, lifting us off our feet, and shaking hands and saying, wow, welcome back. And, uh, you know, it it was absolutely fantastic. I remember getting to Cairo, for example, at that stage of South Africa. Uh, had only been a trade mission in South Africa. And uh, this sort of this occasion allowed them to become a fully fledged embassy, so to speak. And they invited all the other embassies and some wine and some really nice big pieces of meat were flown in from South Africa. And uh, there we had a hell of a joy sort of celebrating South Africa becoming more part of Africa again. And it made us feel proud that we were part of that. So you asked me which is one of our favorites yeah, Cape to Cairo, Africa Odyssey, crossing the continent waterways of Africa. We wrote a book, it was called Cape to Cairo, and it was a very humble sort of attempt at documenting that wonderful year long adventure.
0: No, that sounds um, cool. <laughs> you, you mentioned a lot in there, and I can only um, imagine all, all the things you guys encountered within that year on those travels. Um, it must have been truly special. Um, Um, one of the things, um, actually the first question that I, that I'd written down for you was, um, and, and I, and I forgot it, um, was tell us about your, the stick that you use around campfire. There's, there's a stick that you often have.
1: Do you have it with Uh, you? No, I don't. I I Uh, could easily run and get it, but it would leave the screen a bit blank. In fact, I
0: brought one one just in case.
1: Yeah, no, she, she, she's got a very kindly guy. Go and fetch it for us. Oh, uh, great. Thanks. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, we love uh, African symbolism. And, uh, you know, we just feel so close to Africa. It's, uh, I think you're sort of born with it. You know, In our case, uh, you know, as a young, you know, youngest of three boys with a kid on the old man's knee, you know, he was a sort of uh, a missionary explorer, teacher type, and he tell us stories of the early explorers and what have you. So, yes, we've always had this sort of strong love for the continent and uh, and so love the symbolism. And, you know, we carry a calabash of water from the beginning and empty at the end of every expedition. It became the probably the most travelled artefact, zero artefact uh, in the world. Uh, but then you ask the stick, the stick story, and seeing that we're sitting around a fire, just, um, it's 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 when the talking stick comes out. It's called a talking stick. It's Zulu, that or the Southern Nguni languages. That would be called indugu The stick that gives you the power to breathe words. So the stick goes wow. everywhere. It lives, it lives behind. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to hold it up. Actually, there we go. The old talking okay. stick. you t- yes. a, a, a picture of a Zulu uh, uh, old warrior with a head ring. Wow. It, it's been it's been in our family. Uh, for many many years so that's the little talking stick it's about uh, you know two-thirds of a meter many many years ago and been in our family so the talking stick the stick that gives you power to breathe words so around the campfire at night someone is summons to get the stick out of the land rover and you take hold of the stick and it, it's interesting even just holding it up for you now one gets a certain sort of energy to tell stories. And uh, so taking the stick in hand, you share some stories around the campfire, and then you pass the stick around. And sometimes you don't even pass it. Someone comes and just comes forward and simply takes the stick from you. And uh, the energy that that talking stick gives because it allows everybody their time and their chance to breathe words. So, you you know, later tonight, that stick might be used as a dancing thing. But uh, Mm -hmm. let me tell you, the stick that I just held up, you know, the same here it goes again. Man, it's told, it really has told a few stories in its life. I'm sure.
0: I'm sure. And how how long have you had that stick?
1: Well, it's been in our family for uh, two, three generations, three generations now. So, um, yeah, it's uh, really, uh, yeah, I'm amazed we haven't lost it. Because, you know, sometimes you sort of leave it next to the fire, but it seems to have a life of its own and we find it there next morning it gets loaded up and uh, there we go. Yeah, so it, and, and, you know, when you, you, you get used to using and uh, like even now as I'm talking to you, I've got my one hand on it. It does <laughs> give, it really helps give the, the power to be words. It's very symbolic, and very simple. It's not an expensive item, it's not trickery. It's just a good old African talking stick.
0: Um and what's what's the um what what's the most interesting um the, the most interesting or special person to you um that you've given that stick to and, and allowed them to breathe
1: words? Who who is that person? That's really a difficult one because it's been shared by literally thousands of people over many, uh-huh. many years. To think of just one person is quite difficult, but you know what is interesting. Sometimes you know we we've got various humanitarian causes that we, that we attach to our expeditions, and sometimes you'll get volunteers joining. And let's say on a specific day, and I can't I can't give you a sp- specific person's name, but just let's say you're talking about the day's events, and on a particular day you've had some volunteers with you, and you've been out into the field and you've been doing, let's say, right to sight, which is the provision named after my late wife, my it's called my right to sight. It's a simple provision of reading glasses to poor sighted people coming, that we so take for granted, don't we? I mean, you go to a pharmacy, you're battling a bit with your eyesight, and uh, you do a very basic test. Uh, The test works like this. You take the person's age, you deduct 35, and divide the answer by 10 so person's age to 35 divide the answer by 10 and that's generally that person's starting eye think and so it sounds easy but you know and on average you will hand over a pair of right size spectacles within five to seven minutes of testing per recipient but you know you do 50 spectacles or 50 recipients in one day, old ladies, old guys, you have to guess their age and you've got the charts. And of course, these days with mobile phones, they'll, they'll pull out that old cheap Chinese phone and hold it in a distance. And you sort of get an idea and you do the test. A bead needle is great, you know, just a needle and thread and some beads. And uh, you'll have a day like that. Everybody, you uh, know, everybody in the cheap got sunburnt noses, they've tired, they've had this interaction with, people all day and it's not easy. It takes a lot out of you. Get around to the campfire that night and out comes a talking stick and you start talking. And then one of those volunteers, for example, or one of your expedition team will just take hold of that stick and they'll share a moment with you. They say, you know, when I looked into that old walker's eyes, I could see how her life could be changed just by something as simple as a pair of reading glasses. And you get the glasses correct. And that person jumps up and dances and can read. And you know, you can even take the specials, you know, a lot of the local newspaper, you, you know, the, the day's specials, the shop writer or something. Now, all of a sudden, they wow, three kgs of boogers are gonna cost me so much that you can read it or you can read it. And then, uh, you know, can string a needle, that that least, and then getting back to the talking stick, that person that's been helping you that day, takes hold of the stick around the fire and they share what it was like for them to have these experiences of using adventure to improve and save lives. And that's sometimes when the stick is quite an emotional tool where people really talk about how they've felt about the work that day. Yeah,
0: wow. Um, true, and, and, and that's, those moments are something that really can't be described um, uh, for when someone can actually see properly. Um, I've, I've seen it with
1: there. There's
0: a, there's a pair of glasses I've, I've seen around the world where it it uh, I think it, it helps the kids see color and there's videos of it online and from them putting it on and how it changes their
1: life instantly. Um, and it's, it's amazing So yeah, those are moments for the talking thing. And of course, sometimes, people just sharing the adventures of the day. You know, there's been some danger, there's been some AK-47s knocking about, there's been some challenges, rivers to cross or whatever, and of course, around them. And very often, you know, it's with the local chief, the local population, the local uh, person whose village you're camping at, and the stick goes round and it breaks all barriers. It's, it's a simple talking stick, and can talk with a careful to make everybody the same around the campfire. Yeah. Can be talking about wildlife. Can be talking about culture. Can be talking about today's events. Yes, but the value of a talking stick. It's a, it's a great exhibition too. Yeah, um, Kingsley, one one question that I we've
0: we, there's a lot of questions coming through um, that I wanna I wanna I wanna ask you. But there's one one particular question um, that I want to find out from you. Um, uh, you do a lot of humanitarian efforts. You've done it for years. Um, and I do want to speak about that, um, but I want to find out from you um, what is wh- what is it inside you um, that that kind of gave you that that driving force to go on these trips what 's sort of that almost that personal or even a, a selfish reason um, for traveling what is what has that been to you outside of the the efforts that you go through what 's that personal um, reason and desire for travel. Um,
1: I, as I said earlier, and I guess it's uh, it started um, uh, as a young man. Yeah, as like I said, youngest of three boys, sit on the old man's lap, and he used to entertain us with stories of Livingstonburgh, speak standing, the early explorer. So we we were born into that sort of family where we were travelling in an old 1946 ship and up into the Congo and wherever, and camp in the bush. So. I guess that spirit of adventure started at at a young age. But what um, is someone asked me fairly recently? What is it that makes us adventure? What is the sort of one word that sums it up? And I know mm. in my case, in the case of our team, is it's all about curiosity. I mm. think you either mess with curiosity or you're not. And you know, you need to be curious about what is around the next bend in the river, what's across that. River <laughs> um curious to see more, know more, more tribes, more languages, more of Africa. Because you need countless times to really understand of Africa. That's we so call follow so yeah. And um, so yes, I think key to what makes one strive and want to adventure more is always a sense of curiosity. You know, one expedition seems to spawn another you'll you'll be finishing off one you'll be on your way back from ethiopia driving start talking around the campfire out comes that talking stick so where's the next one guys? and yeah you get home of course that's what that's what makes lockdown pretty difficult because it's all about itchy feet but yeah yeah Yeah. it's that curiosity for the next adventure and i'm sure joe and many of our our viewers with us uh, on this evening's campfire uh share that feeling that 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 rat gnawing at one's stomach feeling of anticipation that slight sort of nervousness can we make it will we find the box can we can we can we leave on the day we've told everybody we're leaving on is it even possible so you know there's always that sort of you know that feeling of the rat gnawing at one's stomach that feeling of an, nervous anticipation but yes more than anything else i think it's a sense of curiosity yeah. um
0: and I, I I agree with you um it's uh curiosity of of what's around the next turn what's over that mountain and and also it's the curiosity of um some of those roads and things that you you didn't take on that certain trip, but they they leave you you the uh th- there's a couple places, for example when I was in India last, we were driving through this tiger reserve and I looked. To the, to my left, and there's this massive mountain, um, with a big face on it, and and I rock climb. And for me, I was like, "What is that mountain? It looks so amazing to, to to go to." And and that mountain to me is is I'm curious about it. Um, over the next few years, going to India, I want to find out more about that mountain, so that hopefully one day, five ten years from now, I can go climb that mountain, and I'll remember the first time I ever saw it. Um, but I'm very curious about it. Um, and I keep looking on Google Imaging and satellites to try to find it. Um, I haven't found a name, but that's fine. Um, it'll, it'll
1: keep me coming back. Well, that's a, a wonderful sense of curiosity. And it's opening the maps and the reference books. And as I said, set an arbitrary date. Uh, let the rat of curiosity gnaw at you and, and you'll be up again. And you know what? Isn't it a, such a wonderful privilege that we're able to share a campfire and talk like this? You know, because yeah. it means we, one of us, got that sense of adventure that makes life so special.
0: Yeah. Um, and Kingsley, um, you, you've had a lot of travels through the years um, and we spoke earlier about planning and things not going um, as, as, as some people had hoped. What, are, what were um, some of the most like, challenging traverses? Or interactions um, along a trip, whether you got somewhere and you're like, "Man, I really don't know if we're going to get out of this. I don't know if we're going to get unstuck." What are some like a couple key situations where you're like, uh, sort of like a "oh crap" moments?
1: No, we don't. We tend not to talk about those a lot because we always concentrate on the on you know, on the sort of pretty side and the beautiful side and everything. But of course yeah, you know, Africa is not succinct and it comes with all sorts of challenges. And you asked what one of those sort of tough moments was, and of course there's been many, you know, being taken by warlords, being interrogated, um, Central African Republic, stuff happening that you wouldn't really want to happen to you too many times. And I remember once getting freed by some by some, some warlords and uh them marching me back to the boat on the river. That happened in the early days in Angola. And then them saying to the rest of the team, the reason that we didn't kill him was just because he was so damn friendly, and uh, we would actually it like worked. him. To, <laughs> no, we like him to stay in our village, not even leave. But you know, so there's been those tense moments. But if you talk about sort of uh, difficult traverses or difficult journeys where you felt your life was at risk, not just from other human beings or war laws or those sort of things. And I must just add that Africa is mostly great, as you know, and, and and you know that that wonderful sense of all born to is is just so special to Africa. So when things go wrong, it's not the norm, but we need to sort of handle them as best we can. And uh, I know we talked about a journey. Uh, it was to travel to um, the uh, geographic heart of the continent. It was called Heart of Africa. But, uh, uh, and and the reason we got to thinking about that, we sat around with a talking stick and so many fires. And said, so, yeah, we've been to the most northerly point of Africa, the most southerly, obviously, Cape, of the most the most westerly in Senegal, been to the deepest point, uh, um, you know, Lake Assal in Djibouti, below sea level, you know, um, been to the highest point, of course, uh, Kili. Um, so, chatting around the fire with a talking stick, we got to say, we really need to go to Africa's geographic point. You know, where the blood of Africa pumps from, and where was that? Out, out came the maps. And uh, to find that it would be somewhere within 200,000 kilometers of rainforest swamp uh, just south of the Central African Republic. But we wanted to be absolutely sure where we were going. So we got hold of the International Geographic Union. They were around, I mean, they decided on the Greenwich Meridian. They were around, I think, longer than the Royal Geographical Society. And uh, they fed thousands of points uh, into a computer logarithms and everything worked it out. I think something like a quarter of a million GPS points. I mean, and they came up with the uh, the, the coordinates of what they believed was the center point of Africa, of course, Canada's got theirs, America, Britain, everybody, but you know, we still have to try and visit and find Africa's geographic points. So, an outline of Africa balancing on a sharp pencil. We had to get to that point. It was a hell of a journey getting up there, you know, all the way to Angola, crossing the Congo. Can you believe you can have two big cities, namely Kinshasa and all across the way? There isn't even a bridge and God know, you know, we. Oh, my goodness, we put our Land Rovers onto, onto an old barge, got across to Brazzavumma and then trekked north. Lots, lots of challenges. But you said, where, the question I seem to recall was, recall some of those moments where you felt it was like the end. And I remember traveling in these forests, like, uh, you know, six foot five, I don't think I made for the end forest, to be honest. I'm certainly the older of the group, and I just remember day after day after day. Very often, can't get your coordinates. The canopy is so thick. You know, send your GPS oh, to right. uh, 14 pygmies, the Barker tribe, leading the way. And then, you know, some days after having walked for 8 12 hours up to your necks in mud and slush and swamps of these rainforests, the vines tearing at your flesh. They seem to have an anticoagulant and you're bleeding. And these pig, pygmies wrap your arms in banana leaves and what have you. And I remember getting to a point where I just couldn't go further. You know, just, I uh, hmm. you know, probably had 50, 60 bee stings and ant the corner of your eyes and cut to ribbons and just the strain on one's body walking through these swamps. I remember one of the guys on that exhibition or Big Dion Schoeman, for example, played professional rugby as a younger guy in France club rugby, a bull of a man. And when you walked through these swamps, following him, and out came his boot, it was like falling into a divot. You'd spend like half an hour cleaning your stomach, pulling yourself from buttress root to buttress root to pygmies, cutting as a way that, you know, constantly cutting their way through the rainforest. And if you fell, which you did every few moments as you tripped over vines and what have you, because the pygmies being so much shorter than oneself, and cutting the sticks with a sharp machete, these little, you know, these little saplings, and they would be like raise the sharp, the points, and you'd fall, and you know, how how we didn't get it through the lungs or through the eye or something. It started to get to a point, and, and you know, in the team were guys like Mike Nixon, was my son Ross, was Brad Hanson, uh, uh, Bruce Leslie, tough guy. Mike, um, for example, has climbed the seven summits of the world, done every twice, one of the last lines, to have done every Cape and, and they told me this later, after the exhibition, they said, you know, if if Kingsley doesn't make it, we'll bury him right there, because sure. this is getting really, really tough for myself. By that time, yeah. Mike had gone horse. Uh, he'd been stung by so many bees down his throat that he could hardly speak, where we were hitting, hitting him with the old EpiPen. So all of us we had our different challenges. But then I got to a point where Answer your question quickly. My back up against an ancient tree, probably a thousand years old. I looked up top of that tree. Man, this is not a bad place to die. <laughs> this beautiful tree before it gets chipped down by the loggers.
0: You know,
1: yeah, yeah I, 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 can't, I, I can't do it. And I remember my son Ross, talking stick in hand, pulling me up from my feet until so they popped me, not leaving you here. And I remember mostly on my stomach crawling the last seven hundred and eighty metres, I think it was, and getting to that point that marked the centre of our beautiful continent. We carried a beacon with us and we planted that beacon. Yeah, where where the center where the center of Africa is. And uh, we didn't want it to be a bunch of South Africans that had claimed the center belonged to the Democratic Republic. I mean to to the to the to the uh, the not the Democratic the Republic of Congo, Congo Brazil. And so we had the colours of their flag etched on this this beacon that had been made by our friends at Paris. And it had the coordinates on that beacon, of course. And it had the outline of, a, of, a, of an elephant. So, you know, just as much as we do our malaria work and all the other humanitarian work, it's, it's just unacceptable that, a, that an elephant should, should fall to poach guns every 50 minutes of the day. So, we also made this as a tribute to Africa's elephants. But if you're asking, was it close? I was very lucky to, lucky to crawl out of there in one piece. And I've still got some war wounds. You've still got some scars and some... Yeah, I'm rumors, sure. But, uh, that's the price of an adventure. I yeah. have it answered your
0: question. <laughs> yeah, you did.
1: <laughs> you, um, and,
0: and I actually had gone through your website today and, and, and looked through photos from that expedition, and I, I saw how challenging it was. Um, but I decided not to go with a challenging photo, but one that's a bit more suitable for you. And yeah,
1: yeah. Tell, tell me, tell me <laughs> what's going on there. Oh what my God! The... that was, uh, that, that was in, um, in the Republic of Congo. Um, we were trekking for lowland gorillas, I seem to recall. And, uh, you know, the bugs get so bad. They're looking for any moisture, corner of your eyes, you know, your lips, everywhere. And, um, you know, there's, uh, well, and the stingless bees, of course, can drive you crazy, So we got hold of these nets. I mean, we looked like a bunch of Australians with their flies, don't we? But so we put these nets over our, our heads and and trek to the deadlock. But that was in the uh, that was in the Republic of Congo. And uh, yeah, and we, of course we were very fortunate. to so Loads and loads of uh, of lowland gorillas. It's a special country for that. You know, as, as we were trekking to find uh, the geographic centre, it wasn't uncommon for you know wild chimpanzees not in a reserve, not not in a national park. Um, and and lowland gorillas to come charging across the park. Of course, uh, you know, quite scary at times. Yeah. No, I've I've seen a lot of videos of people with
0: gorillas. Um, I admire the ones that stay calm. Um, I I know the, the, the people who know the animals well are saying, stay calm, stay calm. I've got a lot of respect for the people that listen and actually can adhere to that when there's a big gorilla right yeah.
1: beside you. Um. Well, you know, John, and I'm sure a lot of our, 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 our people are sharing our campfire tonight. Yeah, I've had the rare privilege of um, of spending time with gorillas, lowland gorillas and mountain gorillas, like you find in Uganda, for example, and the Virungas and Rwanda and such like. And when you look into the soft brown eyes of a gorilla and it looks back at you and you see this link to human kind, and the curiosity uh, between us and the gorillas It is such a special moment. And it's one that once you've done it, um, it it's with you forever. And so like with all wildlife sightings, it's one if you possibly can, that you should try to to add to your experiences and I know you'll get the chance. Yeah, uh, I'm keen. I'm keen. Um, and Kingsley,
0: that uh, leads leads me into the next question that we've got from someone is, um, um, I know that you had an expedition that you were currently supposed to be on, I think at the moment. Um, what, what are some of your next um, expeditions that you've got sort of lined up um, in the somewhat near future?
1: Yeah, we should be on expedition right now. We should have uh, been planning our departure. Um, the maps, the slap on the walls, and everything. But, um Yeah, that's another campfire story. Is to to try and uh, try not use the word. It's a COVID cancellation. Uh, yeah. You know, COVID nineteen cancellation. Uh, we we sort of referring to these things as postponement and uh, remaining positive and optimistic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Early on, we talked about what are the key requisites of, of adventure, like curiosity. It's also you know optimism. It pays an absolute. Key role, as does the sense of humor, by the way. If we weren't able to constantly laugh at ourselves, uh, we'd never succeed anyway. So, what we've done is we've taken that expedition that was supposed to take us from Wales, might I add, um, in the new Land Rover Defenders, bring us all the way south, uh, all the way to to South Africa to 20 countries. We've simply turned it on its head. Um, We'll be doing the expedition, but instead of going from Europe to South Africa, We will be zigzagging through more than 20 African countries, doing our humanitarian work, testing the new Land Rover Defenders. That's going to be interesting. And uh, we'll be doing the journey uh, from South Africa, going north, zigzagging across Africa, more than 20 countries. Some interesting things along the way that will keep us a surprise. Uh, Some new routes that haven't been used for years, and uh, that'll eventually um, bring us across to Europe and everything. So when will that take place? We're not in charge. There's this yeah. naughty little virus knocking about, and uh, we'll have to withstand that and be patient yeah. and uh, see where that takes us. But in terms of our objective, oh, no, that expression won't go away. It's a, it's still called uh, Defender 2020, and uh, we'll, be, we'll be defending the old Land Rover brand um, in these new vehicles, testing them. And no, no doubt you'll join us on your motorbikes at some stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd be keen. Um, also,
0: I'm keen to sit in one of those vehicles and, uh, um, or not sit in, but drive one and test it out. We had, um, have you, have you had a chance to drive one yet? Or you've, have you seen one in the flesh? We, we, up close?
1: No, we, we, we've seen them in the flesh. Uh, we've That's seen right. that one that was used up in Kenya uh, to right. do some conservation work. I mean, great, especially when they wrapped and got all the kit on the roof racks and the, yeah. And, the, and the tires and all the bits and pieces. I mean, it, it, they're, they're, they're going to be a great expedition vehicle. But you know, as always, we've got our old defenders that uh, part of the convoy. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and and um, um, uh, another qu- personal question is, what is you what has been your favorite Land Rover that you've owned through the years? What's been your favorite one that stands mm-hmm. out
1: to you? Sure, we've had so many. Can you imagine how many land is uh, over several? Uh, if you know, I remember when we went around the world following uh, 23 degrees, 27, the topic of capital. It was a sort of world first to track this imaginary line. It was a great adventure, starting off on the coast of Mozambique and then coming back to that very point, I think 18 months later. Um, but two of our defenders on that journey were were, were nicknamed after the two unsung black heroes of African exploration. The two guys that had carried Dr. Livingston's body when uh, when he died in Chief Chitambo's village in present day Northern Zambia. These two stalwarts had sort of dried him for a month like a piece of biltong uh, you know, coarse salt, uh, then put him in a hollow box cylinder, you know, strung it to a pole and carried it for over a thousand miles across Africa with a team of about 30 reporters. And it's one of those brave stories. We did the story for um, the History Channel, I remember, and included in the book these, these incredible brave hearts, Chuma and Susi, that brought Livingston's body all the way back to Bagamoyo, and there was Kerikok and uh to be buried, minus his heart, which lay in Africa uh, in Westminster Abbey. So we called these two landies Chuma and Susi after these mm. two under- African heroes of exploration, and mine was called Tum, and it was an old uh, TDI 300, um, no electronics, loaded to <laughs> the imagine how those vehicles worked, you know. Yeah. Around the world, 23 degrees, 27, the Tropic of Capricorn, never missed a beat, and we brought her home. Those, you know, those big sand deserts of Australia, the Simpsons, uh, you know, the largest sandwich desert in the world. Uh, the Atacama, uh, over the Andes, well, yeah, around the world in, a, in an old landy called Chumann. It certainly was one of my favorites, although our personal vehicle, Ross and I, my son, and I share an old 1954 Series 1, named after my wow. little granddaughter Scarlet, And uh, that's still an everyday vehicle that we use up and down, one of those little open matchboxes, you know, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, we took we took, uh, ten of those, we took 10 of those old girls across the city once and they all came home. So yeah, Land Rover's part of our lives, you know, you know, the last uh, three years, three world trips in three years. Um, and we used, alongside our holiday, we used uh, two of the new discoveries, which we adapted for expedition use. And let me tell you, tough as nails, we're absolutely amazing. And uh, just more recently, we did all those mountain parks across North Africa. So yeah, part of our lives, these Land Rovers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um,
1: so we've got about, we've got 13
0: minutes left um, before the the show ends. And um, what I wanted to give you an opportunity is to tell us a little bit about some of the humanitarian efforts that you're currently focusing on and working on. I know um, I saw on, on Land Rover's story the other day that you're doing one uh, feeding SA together. Um, so tell us a little bit about some of the, your current priorities when it comes to humanitarian effort and what's how, how people can get involved. Um, you
1: know. Well, I'll start on the um, uh, on the on the feeding essay together. Um, you know, so many people have been affected adversely by uh, COVID nineteen, as we all know. And um, you know, we want people to survive the virus, but we also don't want them to die from hunger. And I think that it's essential that we all get together at this time. And I know we've all got personal needs. You know, everybody is not a good time to be asking anybody for bikes. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But together with Land Rover, Jago Land Rover, South Africa, uh, the Mini Chalmini Foundation, and with the help of the South African Red Cross, um, we've been able to get a heavily discounted price on nutritional food parcels. 220 rand per nutritional pack, which is good enough to keep a child alive for a month. So we are spreading the word. Um, Anybody that can, we, you know, the money goes in its entirety to the campaign. Um, It's not getting locked up in offices and admin and anything else. And it's as simple as that. Uh, A pack costs 220 rand. Uh, So, you know, you can keep a personal life for 220 rand and it's just hashtag feeding they together and give some bucks if you can. And if you can't give some bucks, even if you just gave 10 rand, but, you know, just urge other people to, um, because I see this as one of the many national efforts and there's some great stuff happening in South Africa the You know, I feel that as a nation, it's not perfect, is it? But men, all oh, we're coming together. And then that's good, sir. Yeah. That's... One that we're just lending our name to at the moment. But the other humanitarian work that you asked about that's sort of entrenched on all our journeys is the Right to Sight campaign that I mentioned to you earlier on. And i will just like to share a little Right to Sight story with you very quickly. I remember once being in Kenya in the Great African Rift Valley. We were tracking the Rift Valley from the Gulf of Tejora in Djibouti all the way through to um, uh, Gorongosa in Mozambique. It was a at least a year long expedition, fantastic to track this uh, massive crust, uh, you know, th- th- through the earth with its with its mountains and valleys and wildlife, and tribes and everything. But we were linking it to humanitarian force. And I remember in the Rift Valley, um, there was an old man who came up, he wanted to be tested for a pair of readers, right to sight. And uh, he hobbled up, he only had one leg and a stick as a punch. I said, what happened to you, what happened to you? He said, no, I got, I got, uh, I got run over by a tractor. and no longer fall. So I said, uh, how have you stayed alive? He said, no, I became the village cobbler. I fixed everybody's shoes. Everything, everybody came to me if they needed their pair of shoes to be fixed. And I said, and then he said, well, then he said, I can't see enough anymore. So we quickly mm. did some tests with needles and everything like that. And uh, wow. And I remember it was a plus plus two two seven that he needed. And I also gave him a treat for the future, put them in a little, a little drawstring bag. And he shouted for his, his grandson to bring across his tools. And there are oh. a little and a hammer and a pair of pliers and needle and thread and everything. And he instantly got to fixing a shoe that had been half repaired that was sitting on animal. And the entire crowd, that little village just raised their hands and they shout and said, Yay, we've got our shoemaker back. And so how something as small as a pair of readers can improve somebody's quality of life. So that's, that's, you know, these things we didn't think one day, let's, let's have a, an office meeting and be a typical NGO. And, you know, this, all of these things actually happened for a reason, like the malaria work, we'd been hit by malaria so many times. I've had malaria over 60 times. Everybody in our crew, you know, we all get hammered by malaria. We had someone die in the Land Rover. And so, It was these reasons that we got involved with trying to use adventures to improve lives. So, the malaria work is in conjunction with Goodbye Malaria, Uh, started with ourselves and Nando's years and years ago, and that's a spraying program in southern Mozambique. And then, also, uh, what is involved in this is in in the distribution of life saving mosquito bed nets to pregnant mums and mums with children under the age of five who are the most vulnerable. And included in that campaign, of course, is the need for clean drinking water. You know, you've been on an adventure. When you have dysentery, it's manned down. So yeah. it's those little life stores that you can wear around your neck. Personal life store gives a person a thousand liters of clean drinking water. And for those nomads up in those really dry areas of North Africa, I mean, it's just so wonderful. You know, it's about water, it's about life, Um and it's about uh, fighting malaria. So uh, those have been our causes. And uh, I know just recently we were up uh, in the Zambezi Delta. I know we're running out of time, Joe, but we are up in the Zambezi Delta, and we were lending our logistic skills. And our land rover in a big boat that we put, called the Mar Robert. It's two huge pontoons. The whole thing bolts together like a Lego set. You can put two Land Rovers on it anyway. We used this boat and our land rovers and we went down into the Delta, eighteen thousand square kilometers of really wild, things, little isolated villages, and. We took doctors with us, Doctors for Life. They do an amazing job. They're all volunteers. And we did the screening of eye patients. And once screened, we brought those people to Moromeo, That's the name of a place on the Zambezi Delta alongside the Great Zambezi River. Not far from where it enters the Indian Ocean. And set up uh, operating studio there and operating theatres. And uh, wow, you know, you bring in somebody who's blind. And two days later, you take off the bandages and they can see again. And there were these two little brothers that were born blind. And uh, now they could see again. And uh, wow. we said to the one, I remember we said to the one little fellow, sir, what are you gonna do? And he said, you know, I'm only six years, I, think I was six years old. He said, I've been sitting on the edge of the playing field and in my little village, which is just you know, a bit of sand and uh, some palm trees. And, and he said, I've been listening to all the kids shouting and, and kicking a football around. He said, that's all I want to do. And we shot him to the market, bought, bought two soccer balls. He bounced them up and down. And he, he was taken back into the Delta. So yeah, wow. that was giving back uh, the gift of sight to people, thanks to Dr. Fulaf and the team. So you can use these adventures to, to do great stuff. And I'd like to just ask other adventurers like yourselves. It doesn't have to be a big couple of soccer balls, some stationary ball for the school. But, but yeah, you know, let's take the... You know, Adventures have got a great energy, haven't they? You know, and fire, the motorbikes, the sound, the, the campfires like I'm sharing now. But if you can use that energy to do good, it just gives it that little bit of bounce. It gives it that extra bit of meaning. And it, please, it doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to, you know, we can all just do what we can. So there you go. That's uh, part of our yeah. journey.
0: Yeah, and, um, uh, actually, we've got a guest on for uh, next week's next week Wednesday. Um, a guy by the name of Niels. Uh, I spoke to him on the phone for the first time today, and he, he runs an organization called Helmets for India. Um, because he he'd been to India, I think he started going there about five years ago, and just noticed how many people are there on motorcycles without helmets. And he saw he, he actually saw a, a terrible crash. And that gave him the desire to want to bring helmets to India. So it was his love for India and for the people that he started an organization like that um, to help. And they, they they definitely need the help. There's when, when I was there, there's a lot of people there without helmets and it's extremely dangerous. Um, so it is about um, adventure. It can be your own personal desire as well as um, helping helping out those along the way. Um, because it really can uplift a lot of people, change people's lives. Um, it's truly amazing work, what you've done Kingsley. Um, I think we, we've we got four minutes left, but I don't think that's enough time for another story um, from you. I do not want to cut you short. Um, so at this point, um, I'm going to say thank you very, very much for your time. Um, It was an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Um, A huge thanks to Sheila. If you're there, Sheila, um, I really appreciate you sorting out Instagram for Kingsley. Get the shots set up nicely. Um, I look forward to hearing from you soon and uh, I wish you all the best um, on your next expedition to go get the new defenders. I know you guys are very excited about that. And um, I wish you all the best, man really do.
1: Uh, thank you, man. It was great sharing a campfire with you, sir, from me and the old talking stick here. Uh, lovely chatting. And um, I'm sure we'll do it again. And uh, to all your adventurers, uh, have fun out there. Thank you. Cool. All the best,
0: Kingsley. Everyone, thank you so much for joining. We're back on Monday nights. We've got uh, Ozzy from Travel Designer on Monday night. Wednesday, we've got Niels from helmets for India. On Friday, we've got a gap. So I've got some work to do over the weekend. Everyone, thanks for joining us around the campfire. Love to you all. And uh, Kingsley, Sheila, chat soon.
1: Thank you. Cheers, bud. Bye.